Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning on this 8th of July. There's been a change in language, and one set of dogs has been replaced with another. I told you uh, a couple of weeks ago that this is what would happen when the search in Surfside, Florida transitioned from search and rescue to search and recovery. So dogs are specially trained to identify signs of life. Those are the search and rescue dogs. The search and recovery dogs are trained in a different way. Um, And so the signaling uh, in South Florida at the site of the collapse of the condo building two weeks ago um, is that one set of dogs has been replaced with another. You'll also now begin to hear the change in the language. The official death toll now stands at 54. The remaining 86 individuals um, are now presumed dead. And the grief of those families and the grief of that community and the grief of this nation and the nations of origin of many of the people uh, in the building, it, it, it signals to us just how global the communities in America really are, that in one Um, one building in one city in America, there could be people from so many places around the globe um, representing so many different faith communities. Uh, And let's be lifting each and every one of them up in our prayers. Um, We as Christians know what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with the Good Shepherd. Many people facing death and facing the grief following death, do not know anything about walking in the valley of the shadow of death in the company of the Savior, of the Good Shepherd. And so let us use this and other opportunities um, when people face tragedy and, uh, and death. Let's use this as an opportunity to comfort others with the comfort with which we have been comforted. That would be the Apostle Paul on the topic of what Christians know, really, about um, about walking in these kinds of seasons, we went on year uh, as we went on year yesterday. We reported the assassination of Haiti's president. Today, we have learned that police in Haiti have, in turn, uh, killed four alleged assailants and arrested two other individuals suspected of participating in the uh, home invasion that resulted in the assassination of Haitian president. Yovanel Mosi. Um, the gunmen have not been identified. However, the communications minister for Haiti described them as, quote, foreigners. Uh, while um, those who have stand accused have not uh, publicly revealed a motive, it's important to note that President Mosi uh, dissolved parliament back in January of 2020. He has been ruling since by decree. He has lots of opponents. Uh, the streets of Haiti have been filled for more than a year with uh, protesters demanding that he resign. 
armed gangs with um, all kinds of allegiances have been seizing control of a growing number of parts of the country. Uh, the population of Haiti has been terrorized uh, for more than a year now, kidnapping, kidnapping, rapes, killings. We've reported on some of those in recent days. The death of the uh, president raises lots of questions. Uh, paramount among them for the international community is who is now in charge of the country of Haiti. Uh, Mosi had been due to install a new prime minister. He's he's had a bit of a revolving door in the office of the prime minister in Haiti. Um, and he was due to install uh, Dr. Ariel Henry yesterday. Uh, Henry is a neurologist, and uh, he was to replace the most recent prime minister, Claude Joseph, whom Mosi had just dismissed. So here's the here's the ga- here's the play of the game here. Uh, Claude Mosi was being dismissed, had been dismissed by President Mosi, uh, and the new prime minister was to be installed by Mosi on Wednesday. Um, however, uh, following the assassination of President Mosi, uh, Claude Joseph announced uh, is actually the person who announced um, the killing of the president. Remember, he was the recently dismissed prime minister. He declared himself then to be head of Haiti's government. Um, well, Dr. Ariel Henry says, au contraire, in a in an associated press interview that he gave, he said, it's an exceptional situation. There seems to be a bit of confusion. I am the prime minister in office. Um, and so we will see how <clears throat> that political drama continues to unfold. The people of Haiti um, are certainly due our prayers in these days. All right, next up, I've got Ben Johnson. He's a media reporter for The Daily Wire. You can follow him on Twitter at The Rights Writer. He and I will be right back. This is my right. So um, first thing every morning, I open up my email and I scan through a, well, first thing, I open my Bible and I spend time in the Word of God. But when I open my computer, then the first thing that I scan through are a number of emails where other people, gracious people out there, aggregate all kinds of, uh, of headlines that they think people like me should read first thing in the morning. And one of those aggregated groups of headlines... Um, had a byline that said Ben Johnson. And so I thought, I better click on that because he's coming on my show this morning, and I better see what Ben Johnson is writing about and thinking about at dailywire.com. And come to find out, um, there is something that no one says. This should fall into the category of things no one says, and yet someone said it. So here's the headline. Fossil fuels kill more people each year than the Holocaust. Ben Johnson, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Good to be with you. Okay, no one says that, and yet someone said that. And no one should say it, really. It's an incredibly offensive comparison to make uh, for very obvious reasons. But uh, someone did, in fact, say it. it was on Reliable Sources with Brian Stelter on Sunday. And uh, he was interviewing people about how to cover environmental issues because of the tremendous heat spike in uh, the American Northwest, Oregon, and Washington. And he said, how should we deal with this? One of the reporters said, Uh, You should just assume that climate change is taking place and is responsible for this. You should not ask scientists about whether it's responsible for any major event. Uh, But then when he went to uh, a second uh, reporter, 
who's an editor in, in at large of The New Yorker, uh, David Wallace Wells, uh, also the uh, author of a book called The Uninhabitable Earth. Uh, David Wallace Wells sort of took the baton from Al Gore and ran from there. He said that Earth would become uninhabitable by the end of this century. He's been highly critiqued for the assertions that he's made in that book, so he has accuracy issues. But he said 10 million people a year die due to the burning of fossil fuels. He said that's more than the Holocaust, larger than the Holocaust every year, uh, which would be true if it were true. Uh, unfortunately, his statistic is also erroneous. Um, and as you um, point out, uh, he does not give sort of credit where credit is due. Um, how many people do you suppose survive each year, live each year in places that would otherwise be uninhabitable um, if we didn't have access to fossil fuels and the electricity and heating, home heating and vehicles that fossil fuels currently make possible? Right. Uh, well, and that's that's one of those issues that uh, people who are conversing with economics always look to, which is the seen and the unseen. So you see the release of particulate matter as a side consequence of burning fossil fuels, which is primarily in China and India. And China has since uh, increased its standards. So uh, in the United States, this is not a problem. In the West, it's not primarily a problem. It's an issue with countries that are developing and uh, they have not yet caught up to the sort of levels that we have in the West. But for those who are living in areas that, as you say, otherwise would be uninhabitable, this is a lifesaver. Fossil fuels give us energy so that we have air conditioning during these tremendous heat spikes that have killed far too many people in the American Northwest, let alone in places in sub-Saharan climates and so on. One of the greatest killers of people around the world, uh, which is not on anybody's radar, is the fact that people use cooking fuel that uh, is not up to U.S. standards. Instead of using the kind of natural gas or fossil fuels that we use, they use charcoal and other things, and the particulate matter actually kills several million people, four million people every single year. So that alone uh, tells us that it would offset almost all of the deaths that uh, actually occur uh, from, from the incidental thing. But uh, what really is offensive, obviously, is the moral aspect, the idea that the incidental release of particulate matter from burning fossil fuels is somehow on par with the release of Zyklon B in a gas chamber by the Nazis. No one should make that kind of a comparison. CNN rightly critiqued a certain member of Congress when she was comparing masks to, to stars. We should also critique people who go on CNN and compare the burning of fossil fuels in order to stay alive from the world's most disadvantaged people to the greatest act of anti-Semitic genocide in world history. All right. In, um, in my list today of maybe things that people should never say, and yet someone recently said, um, we're going to address this, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, promise or threat by the president, uh, President Biden, to go door to door with COVID vaccines. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Ben Johnson, you can find him at dailywire.com. 
Ben, um, let's let's talk briefly about what the president said in terms of the failure uh, uh, of the government to reach his self-imposed goal in terms of the number of Americans who would be fully vaccinated um, by July the 4th. And then his new idea, which is, well, you know what, we'll just go door to door. Yeah, that's highly concerning. And, and by the way, it's not as though we're far away from a highly vaccinated culture. 67% of Americans have had at least one dose of the vaccine. So we're very close to the, the self-imposed goal that he did set. Uh, but we didn't quite make it by his date. So now he's talking about going door to door. When I heard his speech, this almost sounded like an off-the-cuff sort of Bidenism, uh, to, for lack of a better <laughs> right. word. But then Jen Psaki at the, uh, at the press briefing, <laughs> doubled down on this and said, yes, no, he really did mean it. And this is one of the things he's going to talk about, going door to door to convince people who are vaccine hesitant to be vaccinated. Now, it wasn't okay, that do long you, ago. Do you remember yeah. that we tried to have a census recently and they couldn't find people who were willing to go door to door in America? Like, the, the, people aren't going to do this. This is not a job people are going to take. No, and, and frankly, the government shouldn't be asking them to do it. Uh, you know, during that same census, there was a, a big row over whether to ask people if they were citizens because they believed that uh, the government would use that to identify and deport people who were not citizens. Uh, what, but at the same time, they seem to think it's ludicrous to think that the government might put undue pressure on people who are not vaccinated. Uh, people like Chuck Todd and Chris Cuomo, whom I have to watch uh, for professional reasons, have continually asked the politicians that they interview, we've tried the carrot and stick approach, but the carrot hasn't worked. Don't you think it's time to go to the stick? So uh, you know, it's it's not entirely outside the realm of possibility that this could be used for that purpose. But uh, more more concerning to me is that uh, although I don't have any issue with uh, vaccination for this reason, many Americans have religious objections uh, among those who are still unvaccinated. They don't take the vaccination because they have a religious objection. Is the government going to ask people about their religious views? If so, are they going to compile a database of the religious views of American citizens? And if so, if they do it on the issue of vaccination, what other so-called public health crises might they compile this sort of information for? Yeah, exactly. All right, we're going to keep an eye on that. Um, you and I have uh, both read some um, uh, research from Pew that says lots of Americans are getting their news on YouTube. Um, talk, talk with us about how often uh, Americans are turning to what we might call independent channels instead of established news organizations and why you think that's happening. It's coming. There's a new information superhighway out there. No matter how Google and YouTube may change their algorithms in order to prefer certain content, uh, the fact of the matter is Americans are seeking it out. They are finding it. Uh, there was a poll by Pew Research, which is an outstanding uh, globally recognized and respected researcher, that found 26% of Americans primarily uh, get their information from YouTube. For those, about 3% of Americans say that it is the most important source of news that they have. More important than the newspaper, uh, which is, of course, faded for most Americans, but more important than the web, than television, uh, than other outlets, uh, even perhaps than this radio show, although it shouldn't be. But uh, for them, YouTube is, is the most important source of information. And on YouTube, about half of the YouTubers are established organizations, uh, and then the other half are independent people, people who are making their own content, uh, people who want to have a, a, sta a station or a channel of their own, and who express their own views and their own take on the news. So uh, Americans increasingly are turning to people like that in order to get information on the news. The reason why is incredibly clear, I think. 
Uh, matter of fact, Pew even mentions this. Uh, if you go deep down into that uh, first page of the report, it mentions that uh, Americans are far less likely to find what they consider content to be overly liberal on YouTube, and they're more likely to find conservative content on YouTube. So uh, it's, it's about a third less liberal, uh, which is to say that they're finding a position that is more in keeping with their biblical values, that's more in keeping with uh, the way that they view issues like abortion, for example, or uh, the transgender issue, or other biblical issues. Uh, they're more likely to find content because these people are independent, because they aren't part of the media mind hive that has a single viewpoint on all of the issues of the day. They're more likely to find content that uh, jibes with their values and then they're also, I think, uh, also is likely to find content that is uh, that is highly accurate, simply because uh, increasingly the media have prioritized narrative over facts. And you've seen you've seen that, and we've discussed several of those uh, polls in the past. The American people are hungry for facts; they are desperate for facts. And when they turn on the media, they get narrative instead. So they're turning out the media, and they're looking for other sources. All right, let's talk about that. I know that you and Peter. Um, talked about this topic, uh, and you have some current numbers, I think, that support the argument that you put forth um, related to when when news organizations actually cover news and offer um, information, factually based information, people tune in when they tune out when what is offered is uh, what you describe as narrative, which I would describe as commentary. Yes, or, or we simply say bias uh, or opinion. Mm, good. Yes, uh, you're absolutely right, though. And I just wanted to say this because I did predict this on this program two weeks or, or three weeks ago, that uh, when the Surfside collapse took place, uh, I, of course, I watched the media constantly, almost 24-7, almost every waking hour. And I noticed there was a massive shift in CNN and MSNBC to cover Surfside. And I'm glad they did. They did a very good job. Quite frequently, uh, when people were tuning around, you didn't know what channel you were on because they were all carrying the same press conferences, the same information, and they did a very good job of covering that. They also highlighted uh, Britney Spears' conservatorship, which was, of course, a major national issue, and they covered it more or less down the middle. They did a very good job of covering those issues. The most recent Nielsen ratings have come out. I said at the time that their, their ratings would spike because they were covering real news and they weren't covering... Uh, issues of parochial nature, CRT, uh, other other issues that were highly politicized, the most recent Trump scandals and extrapolations on uh, the, the worst views of their fellow Americans. They were covering hard news. The most recent Nielsen ratings are out. CNN and MSNBC for the last week had double digit increases in viewership, which tells me that the American people are fact starved. They're desperately looking for information. When the news media actually do their job, the American people reward them with high viewership. Uh, that's why they had such a spike in viewership on January 6th. CNN and MSNBC covered it more than other networks. You see, when they cover issues like Surfside, when they cover hard news that the American people want and give people information, and occasionally they even have pastors and priests and rabbis from the Surfside community on, and they have a more inclusive religious agenda on the air you know, that is not negative, their numbers spike because that's more in harmony with what the American people want and where their hearts are and their search and their need for spiritual content as well. 
All right, we're talking with Ben Johnson. Uh, he's a media reporter for Daily Wire. Um, all right, we only have like a minute left, but I have a media-related, journalism-related question for you that's a um, headline that caught my attention. So I put it here under my, if we have time, ask Ben to comment on this. The Biden administration has welcomed a Saudi prince, the younger brother of um, uh, the younger brother of the reigning prince, uh, the crown prince. Um, and this is a person... Um, Jamal, uh, who was connected directly to the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, um, Washington Post journalist um, who was slaughtered by the Saudi government. Um, what, what does this tell you? What does it tell you that the U.S. administration is still willing to uh, welcome, play footsie with, celebrate? I mean, I just meet with, collaborate with, coordinate with known people who are known to have slaughtered journalists. I mean, I, 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 gruesomely murdered. Yes. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right. He is connected to the gruesome dismemberment and murder uh, of Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, it's a terrible tragedy that took place in the United States. It was a terrible human rights offense. Uh, it should never have taken place for someone who uh, was a journalist read by many Americans and respected by people uh, across the political spectrum. So, the fact that he was ushered into the White House tells me that uh, when the when the Biden administration speaks about his commitment to human rights, maybe it has a blind spot. Uh, in the Middle East, of course, we need all the allies we can get. There are greater geopolitical uh, efforts at work. I understand that we sometimes have to make common cause with people who are repugnant to us on many levels. However, uh, the fact that this particular individual was feted and given uh, a, a positive uh, place in the White House and at the same time that there's this uh, continual focus on other nations uh, like Russia or, or others where they're, they're worried, about, uh, worried about human rights abuses in those countries, but not in the people they're talking to, tells me that we need to be more concerned and more uh, consistent in terms of our human rights efforts. Uh, and this, this should never have taken place. This should not have been in the White House. And if, they, if, if, if there was a need to communicate with them, it should have been done through back channels, not at that high of a level. Yeah, not so visibly with press. It just, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, Ben, I totally agree. Hey, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate your insights, your wisdom. Uh, listeners saying, hey, exactly what Ben just said. Facts, not commentary. Non-biased in either direction. I miss the old kind of news reports. Yep, so do we. Ben Johnson, thank you so much. Ben is a media reporter. You can find him at dailywire.com. We'll be right back. Could you use a little peace and a little rest these days? I and mean, we all want peace. But do we know how to make it? Like We're called to be peacemakers, but do we know how to make peace? I mean, the Bible instructs us to live, so far as it depends on us, to live peaceably with everyone. Are you living peaceably with your neighbors? Are you living peaceably with your colleagues at work? Are you living peaceably with people in general? Are you living peaceably in your family? Peace. Wouldn't it be great to have some peace? Well, Kay Wyman is going to uh, Wyma is going to join me next. Her book is The Peace Project. It's a 30-day experiment. Um and she's going to give us a 3-day peace challenge. So, 3-day peace challenge next from The Peace Project.
with author Kay Wyma. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. I would venture to say that all teen behavior is driven by the need to belong. And when real connection isn't available, kids will stoop to cheap substitutes. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Appearance, performance, conformity. Your teen draws on all of these areas to fit in. You might notice a drastic change in your daughter's clothing or hairstyle. Maybe your son is using language he wouldn't normally use. It's shocking to a parent who spent so much time investing and teaching good character. But I'd encourage you to look beyond the behavior changes for just a moment. Is your teen acting out in order to belong? You can do a lot to help your teen feel accepted, especially at home. Looking to make positive changes in your family? Check out the helpful resources from Mark Gregston online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now, Kay Wyma. She's a mom. She's an author. The book is The Peace Project. We're going to talk about the three-day peace challenge from The Peace Project. It's a 30-day experiment practicing thankfulness, kindness, and mercy. Kay, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So what is happening in your household with five kids this morning? (laughs) A lot of sleep. (laughs) Good. People are sleeping in, right? Because it's summer. Yes, I was about to say, as they get older, there's no waking up. <laughs> right? A little different a few years ago. It's so weird. No, I'm in the same boat. Like, nobody in my house is away. I go back in after the show, and still nobody has gotten up yet. It's Isn't like it bizarre? Yeah. It's totally bizarre. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like they've, they've missed half the day, but that's just me. Okay, so <laughs> so people are yearning for peace. Like, we— yeah. We at least think we want it at some level. I think the big question that your book provokes, and the book is The Peace Project, I think the big question your book um, provokes is, am I willing to work for it? Yeah. When you describe peace as a project, you are reminding me that I am supposed to be a peacemaker and that peace has to be made. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's a project. Well, and... um it is, but I think the project is more surrendering than me getting up and doing it. And so it can sound heavy, even like come do this 30-day experiment, because most things like that do involve giving up or having to work really hard. And the interesting thing about this project is that um, it's more about learning what it means uh, to lean in the Lord's strength, because it really is his strength and his power and his peace, because it's not what we discovered is it's not like peace out, man, kind of peace. This is Shalom peace who and it, and he is Shalom. One of God's names is Jehovah Shalom. And it's the it's the completeness peace that means complete and wholeness. And I heard the other day that that another word for Shalom is harmony. And and it's the bringing together of opposites, which is where light comes in and literally bosses the dark. And that's what this piece is. And it's an invitation to come experience God through practices. And I think that's the key to it is the practice because it takes it beyond something that's in your head and you're thinking about it to you actually 
reaching out and believing in him enough and believing the truth behind these practices, which is his power enough to be able to act on it. And it's in the acting that I I just can't even tell you that's, it's incredible. And this is an easy project to promote because it's not mine. We're, we're the sideshow in the story. The story is him saying, come do these things. I'm going to show you how powerful it is. So um, it, this won't surprise you, but right, people saw the book sitting around and uh, as I was preparing for the conversation and uh, asked about it, wanted to know, because it has, uses the word experiment, so uh, and 30-day experiment sounded like a science project to one of my kids. Um, the, the number 30 uh, brought up the, uh, a rolling of the eyes from another person who said, it's going to be like whole 30. It's going to be like yes. Soul 30. And I said, yes, it's Soul 30. This is going to be like Soul 30. So, um, you know, a lot of us tried to do some um, get rid of the like actual physical COVID-19, the 19 pounds we put on during COVID by doing like Whole 30. Um, yes. And now you are talking about Soul 30. So invite, invite us into it as that kind of winsome experiment in our family as well. Oh my gosh, Carmen, that is hysterical. That is exactly what we did because it all started from, you know, with a bad attitude for me. And um, the experiment started when I was met by Road Rude one morning when a big black pickup truck barreled its way toward me. <laughs> I was in a sour, sour place anyway, because I, you can appreciate this. I'd, I had people coming over for coffee. I go to the, to the refrigerator to get out milk and th- I pick up the first carton. There's nothing in it. And uh, I pick up the second carton and there's nothing in it. It's kind of like the cereal boxes that for some reason have nothing in them. And yet they're in the pantry. Makes no sense. <laughs> And so I was kind of unsettled anyway. This car barrels up on me. I'm forced to back down my street to let him through. And it was in that forcing that I looked up and saw this beautiful sunrise and instantly was like, what am I doing? And um, I'm in a car, an air-conditioned car going to a a grocery store where there's refrigerated items. You know, it was in that moment and I didn't realize that I was actually going towards thankfulness, which got my eyes off the moment, brought breath into my lungs. I felt physically better. I genuinely let the guy pass. As he passed, I looked in the car at him and realized I have no idea what's going on in his day. Like he could be racing to the hospital for all I know, or he could mm-hmm. be late for work, or he could just be a jerky person, which is a long way to live, you know? And, um, it, and I didn't realize that kindness had gone and mercy because the compassion that was involved in that moment of even seeing beyond the moment is what mercy is made of. And I physically felt so good that I told the gals when I cut, you know, that were coming to my house, it was like the weirdest thing happened this morning. And as we started to unpack it, it was like, wait a second, those things are what make up the greatest commandment, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and man at mind and love others as yourselves. That's like the essence of what he said sums up all the law and the prophet. And we had a moment going, just like what you said about getting rid of the extra pounds with the whole 30. It was like, what if we could bring, bring peace into these unsettled moments with a little soul 30 action by doing, by practicing thankfulness, kindness, and mercy just for 30 days to see what happens. And of course, unlike this, the whole 30 where you're having to give up and be in pain. Well, I guess I've never done it. So I'm a chicken. <laughs> I've never done it. <laughs> but um, in this, in this quote experiment, 
I mean, the, the fullness that floods your day, you're giving out things and you're making a commitment, but what you're getting in return is this solid, whole peace and joy that barrels into your day. And it primes the pump for us to even, even to practice these things in the deepest, hardest places where we have unsettledness. Sometimes it's the one looking in the mirror because we're the hardest people to practice grace on. And very old relationships or hurts that 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 beg for, for mercy. And um, the Lord is the giver of it. And that's what I think is so beautiful about it and why it is such a sure thing. All right, you and I are going to um, go to a brief break. When we come back, you're going to issue the three-day peace challenge because 30 sounded a little overwhelming to some people. So you're (laughs) going to give us a three-day peace challenge. But let me say this. On the whole 30 issue, um, coffee creamer was my downfall. Isn't that the truth? So let me just say to the the people (laughs) listening right now, if you if you haven't started drinking coffee yet and you think you might start, you should just drink black coffee, which I realize the yes. black coffee drinkers are telling have been telling us forever it's the only way to actually drink coffee, but it's really 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 hard to give up the creamer, the sweetened creamer oh, if you've yes. already become yeah, I know. So there you go. That's yes. my counsel this morning on that. All right. Uh, more with Kay Wyma next. We are going to distill the Peace Project down into a three-day peace challenge and issue it today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Um, people can live text me during the show, and regular listeners know that the text line's always open at 877-933-2484. So I have a flurry of recommendations <clears throat> as uh, for creamer replacement in my coffee, all of which I am currently ignoring. So those of you texting me at 877-933-2484, I'm not texting you back currently because I'm talking with Kay, and I'm not ready to swap out my coffee creamer. Okay. Um, but thank you for all of your input this morning. That's very gracious of you. Okay, Kay, the three-day peace challenge that is a derivative of, a distillation of um, the, the peace project. Tell us about the three-day peace challenge. Well, I, I it's kind of like the coffee creamer where I can totally relate. I get that 30 seems like a big deal. So it's like, why not just try it for three? And in the three, just for a moment, consider what each one of these things are, because you can do it. I mean, what we did in our house, I don't know why my kids continue to put up with my harebrained ideas, but they did step up. And it was really my friends who said, let's try this. Let's see what happens. And so what we did, we just committed. So we're going to practice thankfulness kindness and mercy. And we wrote it down, which I always think is helpful. There's something about using all of your senses that actually, you know, solidifies these synapses, um, changes that are going on in your brain. And that's really, you know, a big part of what started this too, because it was like, we can, if we did want a healthy change to our diet or to our body, we really will change what we put in it. And I was like, why not do the same thing for our thoughts? Knowing that with the, with the science that they have now and the way our brain works, your neural pathways can actually be changed because, 
because most people, the reason why when something stressful enters our life, we almost instantly go to fear, anxiety, or worry is because those are the highest traveled neural pathways. And it really was this idea, what if we could change that? And the way that you do is by creating new ones that have a higher travel over them. And so when you practice thankfulness, there's parts of your brain that they know that light up and that's why it's helpful for us. And it makes us feel good. Same with kindness. When you practice kindness, altruistic kindness, especially, which is where you're not getting anything in return, there's a region of your brain that lights up only when you do that. It never lights up outside of that. And it even dilates your blood vessels. So your blood pressure actually lowers. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, it's crazy when science actually supports the Bible, you know, because it says, you know, transform your thoughts and make them obedient to me. And he also, the Lord says, I, I will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast in me. And so when you go further to the soul level of practicing mercy, which does involve compassion, forgiveness, um, letting go of bitterness, these very challenging aspects of our inner being. It's when the Lord enters in. And so as you just, even for three days, get a little notebook and write it down. And today, find something to be thankful for. And especially if you can find a way to, to find thankfulness in a place where you're unsettled, it's even more powerful. So like when that car was barreling me down, that wasn't a great situation. It's such a dinky situation, but it happens to all of us all the time. Um, being able to go, hold on a second, you know, I'm in a car. I, I do have something to be thankful for. And it's genuine. Write it down. And then look for the way today to actually practice kindness. And they surround you. You will be floored at how many opportunities surround you. And if you can do an act of kindness with the people that are closest to you and not be grumbly, fussy in the moment, it's um, it's so significant. And the same with with mercy. And and you might go for us I was like what is mercy? In fact, the whole book starts out with <laughs> with a very honest conversation with one of my kids that as I was dropping off at school going, okay, today's the day, practice thankfulness, kindness, and mercy. And he's like, what is mercy? And I honestly was like, just go for thankfulness. You know, <laughs> we'll figure it out as we go along. But mercy are those deep things. And um, I loved a, a definition that was given by a, a Jesuit priest. And, it, and he said it was the willingness to enter into someone else's chaos. And I think uh, as we went through this process, the key is the willingness because uh, mercy is not a place where you're a victim and you let people walk all over you. The willingness only comes when we actually lean into and grab hold of what I call in the book, settled significance. And it's that place where the Lord has determined our identity and has declared our worth. And it looks a little something like this. I see you. I know you. You are mine. You are precious. You are a masterpiece. He calls us a name that is so beautiful with a, it's a sought after with a capital S and a capital A. And so in those moments of unsettledness that usually come with things like, I am afraid, I feel unseen, I'm not sure that I'm safe. You get a load when you bring in this truth from what he speaks over us of just the opposite saying, "You are. I chose you, you absolutely belong. I see you always. I love you always because it's steadfast love. And I, Carmen, I think that's why it's so powerful. And 
and and where you know I do smile at the idea of a soul 30 because it's so great <laughs> and and even in my sorry attitude today where I'm like I just don't feel like it I actually force myself because I know the goodness that's on the other side for so for just three days try it and see what happens I just love it. All right. So um, you guys can go and visit Kay at The Peace Project. Um, if you go to, oh gosh, help me out. I was just on it oh, and then I was Kay, clicking around. So hold Kay on, Wyma. I have to click. <laughs> Kay Wyma, K-A-Y-W-Y-M-A, kaywyma.com. If you, if you click on The Peace Project, you can do what Teresa just did. Teresa's a listener. She texted in. I love that you're talking about this. I've been craving peace so I just bought the Audible book this morning um, after hearing Kay on your program and thanking God now for waking me up to hear this message for me today. Well, Teresa, yeah. you can now go to kwyma.com, click on the Peace Project, scroll down there, fill in your book order information, and that's going to get you all of these like free goodies from the Peace Project as well. So um, if you go to kwyma.com, and click on the Peace Project, um, you'll see all of the great additional resources available to you. Um, and you can, you know, get on Kay's email list, which I know everybody wants to do after hearing you this morning. They're like, I want to hang out with her. I want to know what she's thinking about, what's what's going on in her life. Kay, thank you so much. What a joy. I have totally loved it. We'll have to do real coffee sometime. I'd love it with sweet cream. Yeah, face-to-face, real coffee. You got it, girl. All right. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Blessings. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great day, you guys. You too. That's Kay Wyma, author of The Peace Project, issuing to us the three-day peace challenge. We can do this. Day one, thankfulness. Day two, kindness. Day three, mercy. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. So much input on my coffee this morning. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, for those of you concerned that I'm um, out there buying it at some expensive store, no, no. I live way too far away from a coffee shop to be drinking anybody's coffee but my own made at home. But yes, for those of you recommending certain brands and certain ways of doing it, I, I'll, I will give some of those suggestions a try. So thanks as always for your input into my life. Uh, I trust you. You're my friends. You have my best interest in mind. And I appreciate that. Uh, I feel likewise about you. Praying for you this morning. Let's be people who, since it's Thursday, let's just go ahead and jump in. Let's make this Thankfulness Thursday, which is going to make tomorrow Kindness Friday. And it's going to make Saturday Mercy Saturday. So that'll be our three-day challenge. Today will be Thankful Thursday. Let's see if we can turn our attention with thankfulness uh, toward the Lord today, see how our perspective on the circumstances of life might be changed. Let's call out things for which we are grateful. I'm going to lead the list with, I'm grateful for the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, and I'm grateful for you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Another hour of Mornings with Carmen, up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.